0: All right, let me call your attention now. Mark chapter 6, down in verse 6, the scene changes. And here we see Jesus sending out the apostles, the disciples. Grass withers and the flowers fade with the word of our God. Stands forever. Let's begin verse 6. He marveled because of their unbelief. That's the people in Nazareth. Now the corner is turned here. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. Against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and they healed them. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us. Pray for our students that you would strengthen their hearts and minds and souls. Thank you for the messages they heard each week, for the investment that family group leaders. Thank you for Nick and Meredith. God, I thank you that you would make it so that our church is known as a church that that makes disciples. Growing strong. Full of truth. We pray that you'd help us today. To give us even more of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have a good friend that pastors a church in a nearby state a prominent church I talked to him several days ago. He just got back from a radically Muslim country. In that radically Muslim country, his church partners with an underground ministry seeking to bring people to Christ. My friend tells me he was there in country with one of the partners and as they walked along the seashore, they came up on another man with them. It was a populated area. And this man asked about Jesus. So they began to talk about Jesus. The conversation was going positively, it was going well. And he asked, my friend, uh, is there something I can read? So my, my pastor friend Gave him a Bible. Unfortunately, somebody saw that. The person that saw it started yelling. Other people heard. A mob circled them. Started shoving and shouting. Got violent. Thankfully, by God's grace, the police came. You would think when the police come, it's going to get better. That's not always the case. So they arrested my friend. And the national partner, they arrested him, took him to jail because he was an American. Thank God there's still that kind of thought. Because he was an American, they told him, you don't have to be in jail, but you have, you've got to leave the country. Threw him out of the country. The partner that had to remain, he, he's in jail. I just talked to my friend this morning. I asked him about it. They've already had a hearing, brought him in front of the tribunal or whatever court it is, asked him just a few questions. They asked him, were you proselytizing? Were you talking about Jesus Christ? He said, yes. Did you give a Bible to another person? Yes. Do you know it is illegal Yes. They put him back in the jail cell. His wife, we've got word from his wife, gave it to my friend, I'm telling you the story. His wife says that he's, he hasn't had a bath in nine days. They haven't let him change clothes. They're not saying what they're going to do with him. <clears throat> he's asked for other Christians to pray. It's interesting to me what he asked us to pray for. He asked us to pray not for safety and deliverance. I'm sure he wants those he asked that we pray that he would have courage that he could stand with courage for the gospel in this mean world now you and I don't live in that you and I don't live in that mean world the world we live in is slowly slouching in that direction and part of my obligation part of what pastors do part of our obligation as a church is to make sure to the degree I can that the people that are coming on Sundays are adequately prepared for what is on the way and I think this passage in front of us is food to provide us strength for in this passage we have all the necessary ingredients for solid discipleship. Let's get to context. <clears throat> Jesus is now undertaking his ministry from village to village. He's been in Nazareth. Nazareth rejected him. Now verse 6 is the hinge. In verse 6, it comes from Nazareth to going to the villages. He starts going into the village from village to village. And in this passage, from the, for the very first time... Jesus takes the 12 and uses them. What we've seen up to this point, he's the one doing all the teaching. This passage is something different. Jesus takes the 12 and he uses the 12 to expand his kingdom. And he sends them out for the very first time as as ambassadors. And the description that Mark gives us In Mark chapter 6 the description that Mark gives us is a template of sorts for solid discipleship because the truth is a mean world students a mean world calls for solid disciples what I want to do I want to frame this sermon in the form of five questions and these five questions just will just sort of, they just serve as door hangers to get us through the passage to think about how to apply. And the questions are designed so that the application is baked right into the point. Let me see how let me see if I can make it work. Here's the first one. Number one. First question. Have you been with Jesus? You call yourself a Christian. Have you actually understood the gospel, you've turned from your sin, and by faith you've believed that Jesus Christ died in your place as an atonement and a substitute for your sins. You now are a child of God because of that. Have you been with Jesus? Verse 7 says that he called, notice the text, he called the apostles to himself. That's not the first time he's done that. We find out from all of the chapters previous, including chapter 3, Jesus called the apostles to himself. They're with him, they would learn from him, they would follow him, they would see his example. A lot of them would come and it would be a tremendous sacrifice to stop being a tax collector, give up a a thriving fishing job and follow Jesus. For most of us though, it's not like that, is it? By God's grace, most of us are not called to leave jobs and families But we are called to abide in Christ. Surely that's what Jesus meant. John chapter 15, don't you know that passage? John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you been with him? Have you given your life to Jesus? Not just coming to church, not even just enjoying the church. Not just thinking church is something good. Has your soul been turned from darkness into light? Before you can ever actually do any ministry for... So awesome, often we talk about doing great things for God. We need to put that on the shelf and, and, and have it rightly understood. Have you been with Him? I saw a preacher say something the other day. I think it's probably... A good thing to remember if you are a preacher. Any given Sunday morning, there will be people that come into church and will hear the gospel. Make sure they hear the gospel for the first time. There also will be people that come to church that maybe will hear the gospel for the last time. So let me explain the gospel. When we talk about the gospel here, what I mean is that God, the Bible teaches, God is a holy God who created all of us in his image. You have dignity because you are created in the image of God. But the image of God in us has been disfigured to the degree. It's because of our sin. That image is is so messed up that we are are not only far from God, that's not really strong enough language. The Bible says that we are dead in sin. That we, we, we are under condemnation. And because of that, we are in a terrible situation. The Bible, if you read it, What you find out is some really bad news because we are under condemnation. And the good news is that God is not just a creator and not just a judge. God is also a loving God. To the degree that he gives us Jesus, here's the gospel. God gives Jesus, his only son, fully God, fully man, lives perfectly in a way that we can't. He lives perfectly in our place, goes to the cross. Why the cross? The cross is an instrument of judgment. There, God renders judgment. He pours out judgment on His Son, and that's where judgment goes. Dies on the cross for our sins. In the grave, three days, God raised Him from the dead to show that it has worked. He receives that sacrifice as payment. Jesus has ascended into heaven. This is what the Bible teaches. And the, the gospel is, if you will believe, That Jesus died in your place. That God has killed his son instead of killing you. That's the gospel. He was your substitute. If you believe that, the the promise is that you will be saved. Have you you given your life like that? Have you believed Jesus died in your place? Is Is there a signal of devotion in your life? Is there a clear picture of fruitfulness? Like, like, is it obvious that you actually have been with Jesus, that you are a Christian? Are you, are you someone that's easy, easily corrected? Have you been with Jesus? That's the first question I think that needs to be answered. There's a second one, though. Here's the second question. Do you live for Jesus? Do you live for Jesus? Let's uh, take the rest of verse seven let me read it and then let's make some application. There are three ways to to make application in verse seven. Let me read it first and he called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits so call the twelve, send them out that's one, two by two that's another and then gave them authority over the spirits. let's talk about, each one. Let's deal with the first one. He sent them out. The word "send" it's the verb form of apostle. It's apostolat. It means sent. It means somebody that is sent as an ambassador. If Jesus is the first one that is sent, that's what Jesus says, as the Father has sent me. The first one sent is Jesus. So I am sending you to send them out. The apostles become his ambassadors, his representatives. They become those that will be that which reflects Jesus. They extend the kingdom. Let's pause here just for a second and talk about what an apostle is. A capital A, apostle. There were 12 apostles. Started with 12. Judas, of course, is the son of perdition. And then Paul became an apostle that was untimely born. What is an apostle? Someone that was an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus from the baptism of Jesus to the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. That, that one that saw that happen. The apostles were given authority. You would call that apostolic authority that we do not have. Somebody tells you, I am an apostle. That person needs to be very, very old. Do not have So what Jesus does with his apostles is different. The church is built, Ephesians 2, the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. The foundation is laid, doesn't need to be laid again, then the church is built. While we do not have apostolic authority, we do have that same mission. To be sent. Maybe you don't see yourself like that. Somebody that's sent because You hadn't been anywhere. But the truth is that we gather at this embassy on Sunday mornings with other like-minded people from the kingdom, the same kingdom. We come and worship the king, and then when that worship is over, after Sunday morning worship, we then are sent as ambassadors. You grow up thinking, and your parents tell you, and it's a good policy as you're coming through middle school and high school, shouldn't care what people think about you, You do your own thing. It's it's one of those things you learn to combat any kind of pressure, peer pressure. You be your own person, no matter what people think about you. Which which is all right to get you through those sort of temptations. But it's not great when you understand that you are an ambassador for Christ. So so what people think of you, it's it's true. It's true. Needs to, it needs to matter because what they think of you, if you call yourself a Christian, is what they will think of Christ. Which then needs to dictate how we live our lives, not with our Christianity as an appendage that you add on, but our Christianity saturating who we are so that it's seen in, in our recreation, so that it's experienced in your demeanor, so that it's, that it's obvious in what you say, in your speech, so that it's clear in the friends that are with you. You're known by your friends. So that it shines in your lifestyle. So that it's reflected in how you how you spend your money. Unfortunately, one of the ways that we see it so much in today's world, and it's just the world we live in, is a social media presence. I'm thinking mostly about Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That, that becomes the... That becomes way the way people know you. What do they know of you? Do they see you as an ambassador? You see, he sent them out, verse 7 says. Sent them out. And something else. Notice how he sent them out in verse 7. Notice what he says there. He sent them out two by two. He sent them out in pairs. Sent them out with, with a brother or a sister. You find that in the Gospels. You find it... it Carries over into the book of Acts. We don't go at it alone. Now, why would he do that? Why did he send? I mean, if, if you got twelve, wouldn't you do better to send twelve in twelve different directions than in just six? You could double what you're doing. I think there's several reasons. One, you could use uh, an Old Testament reason from Deuteronomy chapter 17. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 17 that uh, a truth is understood the testimony on two witnesses. So maybe that was it. I think probably it has to do with, with, with fellowship. You need a brother or sister with you walking along. Or, or maybe it has to do with, with accountability. It's good for us to have a partner in, in, in life. Somebody that's able to say to you, hey, hey uh, that, you need to probably not do that. I've noticed that, that there's a change in you. Or or maybe it's encouragement, because sometimes you just get down. You need somebody to speak into your life. Man, look, this morning my dog uh, starts howling at 3:40. 3:40. Now I normally get up four o'clock on Sunday mornings, but that 20 minutes before the alarm is the best (laughs) sleep in the world. And that dog robbed me this morning. And I got up and let the dog out. Uh, I let him out of his cage, and uh, checked my phone. And I have a friend in Ireland who's a pastor of a church. He used to pastor. He's not pastoring anymore. He's been out of the ministry, and he's preaching this morning. He's traveled three hours to preach at a church in Ireland, and he sent me a message. He's pulled off the side of the road, sent me an an audio message, and it was the greatest encouragement, speaking of our church, about you guys, about the worship here, about the preaching. And just in that moment, having someone speak like that in your life, God gives us one another to do that. He gives us each other to to grow together. Solomon knew this. Solomon, who uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, which is usually hijacked and put into marriage, but really, he's not talking about marriage. I mean, it's okay to use that for marriage. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, this is what Solomon said. Two are better than one because they have a reward for their toil. For if if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and doesn't have another to lift him up. So they're they're sent. They're sent two by two. And notice at the end of verse 7, I'll just say that that there's an idea of confidence. We have confidence as we are sent out. Now, I mentioned that we do not have apostolic authority. But when you read verse 7... I don't want you to look so much at the apostles getting authority. I want you to see where the authority comes from. And he called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. It's a reminder here that Jesus Christ has the authority. That's what the ascended Lord Jesus says, that all authority in heaven and on earth is his. What you have here is a picture of the sovereign lord he possesses it which gives us great confidence as we understand ourselves being sent having fellowship and being confident have you have you in fact been with jesus do you live for jesus i'm gonna be a third question that takes us along verses eight nine and ten here's a third question number three are you dependent Are you dependent on Jesus? So when you read verses 8, 9, and 10, what you have there, Jesus gives some very uh, specific instructions to the disciples about how they go on this ministry journey. Let me just go through, point out a couple of things. I'll come back and then make some broad, three broad applications. So let's go to the text, verses 8, 9, and 10. The text says that he charged them, this is what he said to them take nothing for your journey except a staff. So you can have a walking stick, nothing to eat, no bread, no bag. That word, that no bag is like a beggar's bag where you can sit and look poor and have people put money in. No bag, no money in your belt. Put some sandals on and don't even take, no two, don't have two tunics, don't have an extra set of clothes. Wherever you go into a village, verse 10, whenever you enter a house, you stay in the first one you come to, the first one that opens up to you. Okay, so what's the application? Let me give you three words. Three words that characterize a disciple's life. Here's the first one. The first word is simplicity, simplicity. When you read verse 8 and 9, you find out Jesus is telling them to travel light. Don't be encumbered. You are to have minimum provision, maximum faith. See, today we're in danger of just the other. We're in danger of having too much baggage. We have have to have bigger closets. We have to run to the dump to throw stuff out. We're in danger of having too much, not too little. And Jesus says, I want you to have the clothes on your back, walking stick in your hand, sandals on your feet, unencumbered by the things of this world. I, I would just invite you to press toward. Now thank the Lord we live in a time where we have modern conveniences. We're not called to be ascetics and monks. I am saying this. We're called to make sure the mission stays. But the goal is not for you to have more and more that will one day burn up. The goal is to live as one sin, you see. Simplicity. Another word I'll give you is the word dependence. 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 To, to travel lightly. To live and travel like this means that you you not carrying anything with you. You have to trust God that He will provide it. And you have to depend on other people. See, the adage where... God guides, you provides, you trust that if God is taking you there, He will provide it. And let me just pause and say, for some of you, what's keeping you you from doing the right thing? What's keeping you, sometimes we build these rationales, is it money, is it finances, is it relationships? What, What is it that's keeping you from taking the step that you're afraid to take? You see, following Christ is a, it's a life of trust. It's going to take for you to, to actually be obedient regardless. I mean, in this list of commands, there is this, uh, this call for humility because the apostles would actually have to depend on other people to help them. There are a lot of you sitting in this room right now that have the hardest time letting other people help you. And it's just pure pride. And it's sinful. See, see, following Christ means you trust God and then you are dependent on the people that He's given you. That's how God works. He uses People. So, so simplicity and dependence. There's a third word here in verse 10. It's the word contentment. Contentment. The idea behind verse 10 is when you go into a village and there, the first person that opens their home to you, you stay in that home. Don't, don't be looking in the village for an upgrade. If you're looking for somewhere else. Oh, look, somebody else opens their home and they've got three bedrooms there and more baths over in that little village house. The idea is you go there, you're being provided for, you be content where you are, and you keep your mind on the mission. You you don't start showing partiality. Understanding that it's not where you stay that's important, it's the mission that's important. Look, we live in a mean world. We live in a mean world, and a mean world calls for solid disciples. The question so far... Have you been with Jesus? Are you converted? Have you given your life to Christ? Do you live? Students, are you living your life for Jesus? Are you living it in faith? Are you dependent on Jesus? I'll give you a fourth question, number four. Will you suffer? Will you suffer for Jesus? Join me there in verse 11. Notice Jesus is preparing them for rejection. We just come off of chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He went to his hometown. They watched him be rejected. He's preparing them for rejection. Now in verse 11, he explains to them, if they reject me, they're going to reject you. Don't be afraid of rejection. We live in a world, if you name the name of Christ and you live for Christ, you're going to be rejected. And this is here to, to, to stiffen our spine. So Jesus takes a modern practice from his day and time and he changes the meaning of it. Verse 11. If any place will not receive you and and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. When Jewish people would travel through a Gentile land, oftentimes coming home, they would symbolically shake the dust off, clap the dust off of their sandals. They would do so as a sort of symbolic cleansing. So Jesus takes that meaning, puts it away, and notice what he says in verse 11. I want you to do this, now not to say there's some difference between Jews and Gentiles. I want you to do this, verse 11, as a testimony, as a witness. They need to know how serious it is if you don't listen to the gospel. Matthew Henry, the great preacher from another age, Matthew Matthew Henry said they shake the the dust off their sandals and that dust is like the the dust and the plagues on the pharaohs in Egypt. It's judgment. It's it's a reminder that we deal in life and death. That that the dangers of judgment are real. That the, the consequences of rejecting the free offer of Jesus Christ and the love of God, the consequences are real. Jesus says, you do that as a witness to them. Don't reject. Please come to Christ. In fact, let me, let me end with that, with the fifth question. That one last question. Are you, number five, are you clear about Jesus? Join me there in verses 12 and 13. I want to start with verse 13. Verse 13, you have a display of apostolic power. Verse 13, they cast out many demons, the apostles did. They anointed with oil. You also find that in James. It's interesting, you find the anointing with oil in two places in James and also right here, nowhere else in the Bible. And that most likely is a symbol of the Spirit's work, but they used the oil as a symbol and there was healing. This is power given to the apostles. Not to us. What well, we see here this, this care for people's well being. And, and as good as that is to look at that, I want you to look at the verse, the verse before that. I want to end with verse 12. Look at the message. The message. Verse 12 says, They went out and they proclaimed, they preached that people should repent. What a word, to repent. That's the message that John the Baptist came preaching, repentance. That's the message that Jesus came preaching, the very first word of the gospel, the first word of his sermon, repent, the kingdom of God is here. That's the message that the apostles would preach. That is the gospel message. So if that's the case, and I was getting ready for this sermon, one of the little books that I use is uh, the Christ-centered exposition. We probably have Commentary of Mark in our bookstore. In the Christ-centered exposition uh, there, one of the authors mentions a Puritan preacher named Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson lived in the 1680s. If you context Charles I, has his head cut off, Puritan's took over, Oliver Cromwell, then he dies and he's restored Charles II and Thomas Watson's kicked out of his church. And he writes a little book called Repentance. This is what he said about repentance. There's six six marks of repentance six ingredients necessary for true repentance of sin And i think he's right let me go through them quickly here's the first one the sight of sin to see it the sight of sin to recognize in your own life not somebody else's your life to recognize the sin in your life to recognize your lifestyle as actually sinful To see how you are living, what you've done, what you've said as sin. The second ingredient is sorrow for sin. Sorrow for sin. To be genuinely grieved for the wrong that you've done against someone, but, but more likely against God, the sin against God. To actually be sorrowful for sin. A third one is confession of sin, confession of sin. Watson said that that's you, you pass judgment on yourself to say the same thing about your sin that God says about it, that it actually is an offense to God, to see it like that. The fourth ingredient is shame. This is what most of us have forgotten how to blush. Shame for sin. To have shame. Think of the prodigal son. Think about uh, the the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told when he said the prodigal son, when he came to his senses, came to his senses and he realized he should be ashamed. In fact, what he said was, I am no longer worthy to be my father's son. Shame. That leads to the fifth ingredient of repentance. And that is a hatred for sin. Hatred. Hatred. Bible says that God protects us from our enemies why don't you make sin your enemy and God will protect you hate it and then the sixth ingredient of repentance is the most important and that is turning from your sin when you turn away from something you turn toward something else turning away from your sin turning to the mercy and the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God that is found at the cross of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it like this. There's not a, Anybody in here is sinned worse than he did. Paul said in Romans chapter 2 that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That's how I want to end today. I want to end calling you to repentance. Our good God waits to receive you. He receives you by the substitute of Jesus, the atoning work of Jesus at the cross so that you might become a solid disciple. A mean world, a mean world calls for solid disciples. This morning as we close our time of preaching, before we go to singing again, I'm going to invite you to join me Just a moment of prayer with your heads bowed this morning. Why don't we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer and use this time as commitment and dedication. For some of you here, I want you to pay specific attention. You heard the gospel and it made sense to you today for the first time. Maybe you've heard it all your life, but today it resonated for some reason. You want to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. We want to talk to you about giving your life to Jesus. What it looks like to be with Jesus. There's some of you here, when I was preaching, you had somebody in your mind. All you could think about was somebody in your mind. You want to pray for them. When we sing today, if you want to come forward and kneel here and pray, we'd love for you to do that. It's the Lord's day, it's the Lord's house, God's people. It's a good time to do that. If you need something more than that, you need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with you, our pastors are here, or you can even wait till after church and meet them out in the lobby, let's talk through what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you for the good word you've given us in this book. We pray that you'd find us faithful, that you would build here at Hickory Grove solid disciples. We pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would bring about repentance in the heart of so many here, even today. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name we pray.